Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey everybody, I'm Thomas Frank and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. This show exists to help you become a better college student, quote unquote, and that could be learning how to study better and more efficiently, getting the dream job that you want, or learning how to manage your money better. And on today's show, I'm talking with my friend Matthew Turner, who is writing a book called The Successful Mistake. And about a year ago, Matthew reached out to me and wanted to know if I had a mistake in my life that I used to turn around and uh, make my life better because of it. And over the past year, he's interviewed 162 other people and asked them this exact same question. And so he's distilling all these people's experiences and entrepreneurial mistakes that have happened and how they've been turned around into a book called The Successful Mistake. So I thought he'd be a great guest to have on the show to talk about the uh, the power of learning from mistakes and actually making these mistakes and, and driving uh, your life forward from them. And the conversation was really good, so I'm really excited to dive into to it. But first, if you've got questions, you can always email me over at thomas at collegeinvogeek.com and I'll try to get those questions answered for you. They also help uh, make new podcasts and videos and articles better because I know exactly what you're struggling with. So definitely send me questions. Also, if you want to get my free 100 plus page book on getting better grades, you can go over to collegeinfogeek.com slash book. I worked a ton on that book over the last yeah, uh, few months of 2014, and I'm really excited to have you check it out and hopefully benefit from it. So let me know what you think if you do. Also, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, which also has a link to uh, learn how to subscribe to the show, if you want to get more, then go over to cigpodcast.com and find the episode 51 link with Matthew Turner, and you'll find all those links. So that's all I have for the intro. I'm going to stop talking to myself here, and we'll get into this interview. All right. Well, hey, uh, welcome to the show, Matthew. Hey, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on board. Doing good. Doing good. This is my fourth podcast of the day. So yeah. and I'm sure you're you're very used to doing lots of interviews in a day. Yeah, I think my max, I I think I did five in one evening. Did you? Because I tend to I tend to save all my interviews for the evening, okay. which works out because the majority of people are in America. So at least five hours behind me. And yeah. I think one day I had back-to-back interviews from about five o'clock till about eleven o'clock. Nice. And I maybe had <laughs> a couple of twenty-minute sort of little little breaks in between those, but yeah, yeah I had like five back-to-back interviews. Brutal. <laughs> At the uh, end, I was just like, I don't even care. Just tell me a mistake and just. <laughs> <laughs> it gets tough, right? Yeah. yeah, because you have to talk to people you've never met before, and it's like it's yeah. fatiguing a little bit. Oh man, especially when he, this sort of structures them and everything, and you're asking a similar kind of thing. And yeah, it's just, I just don't have a very good attention. Right. <laughs> I was so, like, I'm hungry, give me food. <laughs> so remind me again, well, what country do you live in again? I'm in England. So yeah, That's I'm right. in Yorkshire, the north of England. Okay. So, so yeah, it's chilly over here. Is it? Uh, oh, yeah. It might be chillier here. So I, yeah, <laughs> I've, um, I've been seeing on news like like the snow drifts you guys have been having. It's yeah, been 
intense. It's insane. Well, it's funny because like everyone in New York's like, oh, we're gearing up for this big snowstorm. And they like closed down a bunch of stores and stuff. And I'm in the Midwest and we're just like, oh, we're getting another sto- uh, snowstorm. Whatever. <laughs> Standard day in the Midwest. So I used to work in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. But only in the summer. Okay. So I never experienced the um, the Midwest winters, but, but yeah, I've had the Midwest. Well, Cincinnati's kind of Midwest, if anyway. Yeah. Cool. So uh, to like recap a little bit here, it was maybe maybe like a year ago at this point. I'm not sure, but uh, you yeah. reached out to me because you're doing this project called the Successful Mistake, and you just kind of want to get perspectives from people who have made mistakes and then built something off of it. So you interviewed me about a mistake I'd made, which. I'd have to like jog my memory to remember what my specific mistake was. But, uh, so yeah, I guess like, is that a good overview of what the project is then? And it's a book, yeah, right? Pretty much. It's for a book I've been writing shortly after I started working for myself. I came up with this idea of interviewing a hundred or so entrepreneurs about their great mistake mm-hmm. and how they turned it around into something of value and, you know, some kind of worthwhile lesson. So for the past two and a half years, I've interviewed 160 odd. I think I'm at 163. Wow. And there's probably a few more to be done. The okay. majority of them have been done in person, but there's a few email ones too. So I've been doing a lot of these Skype interviews. So I've so, certainly, we were just talking about some of the software we use and stuff. Before, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, man, it's been my life for the past two and a half years. And, and yeah, so now I'm in the process of writing the book, which okay. is a completely new challenge. And just as of yesterday, recording of this podcast, I um, released the crowd publish campaign, which okay. feels like one chapter's at a close where I've been interviewing all these amazing and inspiring entrepreneurs for the past two and a half years. And now I get to involve fellow readers and writers and entrepreneurs to come and join and help me transform this you know, amazing set of stories into something of, you know, worth that's going to help tomorrow's entrepreneur, you know, grow and, you know, be a boss. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the lessons that you learn from your mistakes, it's not just things that apply to entrepreneurship. It can apply to life in general. You know, it's going to be lessons that are applicable to really any area. And I would imagine that going through 160 of them, you've learned a lot. Oh man, the lessons I've learned, it's been, I mean, even if this book doesn't sell, the kind of lessons that I've learned from just listening to these incredible people has been so much. And I've just done another interview just before this one. And yeah, we, one of the things that came up in that one was this idea of it teaches about life. And I think naturally speaking, we are born to embrace mistakes. It's how we learn to walk and talk and generally develop into human beings. And then through education and work and general life we get this really bad outlook on mistakes Mm. but then once you become an entrepreneur rather quickly you start to realize just how you know (laughs) valuable they are because to to grow a business you know whether you're a one-man band or you know you manage a big company or whatever you realize that you need to be able to fail and mistake with grace you need you're yes. gonna fall down. You're gonna you're gonna have those bad days, and more often than not, they will be the lessons to help you turn a good idea into a great one. Mm. So you kind of go full circle. So I was speaking to all these people who would say, "Yeah, I'm going to talk about my mistake, but I don't really believe in mistakes anymore. You know, failure and mistakes don't really exist. They're just lessons and stuff." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's so true." But yeah. when you're just starting out, you've still got these leftovers from school and jobs. Yeah. 
where you get beaten up with this idea of mistakes, we have bad <laughs> test scores and, you know, detentions and all this. So yep. we're all born naturally embracing mistakes, but life, you know, kills that off. And then once you're an entrepreneur for a few months, you start to slowly but surely realize how valuable they are. Yeah. So I was reading an article last night about this, this family that had 12 kids and they yes. were going through their like whole uh, the parenting philosophy Apparently, like every one of their kids put themselves through college, like the parents didn't pay for it at all. So they were kind of like, these are the parenting techniques we use to like raise kids that were able to do this uh, in America. And while I don't agree with every single thing they did, one thing I really liked is they said like everything was a teaching opportunity. So uh, one of the kids was supposed to change the oil in the car and they were like, oh, I can do it myself. And turns out the the kid poured like 18 quarts of oil into the radiator. <laughs> And the dad was like, you didn't, you know, he didn't get in trouble for that. He wasn't punished for it. We went and we bought a radiator flushing kit and he had to learn how to flush the car out and he had to learn how to fix it, you know, but that did was, you put that on Facebook actually last I night. I did. Yeah. I put it on Facebook. I, like, I read that last so night. You might've yeah. seen it. Yeah. And yeah, I was just is. like, that's exactly how it should be done. Because, you know, if you, mm. if you mess up changing the oil in the car, you're already like sad enough that you screwed the car up. You're afraid. And then if your parents just like yell at you, you know, it kind of reinforces this like, don't take any risks. Don't make any mistakes. Like mindset, it, you know? Exactly. And I think, you know, I blame education and the corporate world for it. You know, there's other things to it. I mean, obviously just generally growing up, but I, yeah, exactly. I've mm-hmm. always had the outlook, especially when I worked at a summer camp, when I worked in Cincinnati, I, I wanted to put kids and, you know, the staff I was in charge of in a situation to fail and in a situation to make mistakes. Not necessarily big ones, which are going to be like costing lives. Yeah. But, you know, little ones, I'm like, yeah, you need to put someone in a situation to fail and to make a mistake. Otherwise, we'll never fulfill their potential. They'll always play it safe. We'll never do it. And if we did that as people, we'd never learn to talk or walk or do anything. We'd just yep. lay down on our back and stare up at the sky like a newborn and never move so in order to grow as a human being you need to you know take those risks and it's exactly the same as you know an adult and we tend to not do it so much at school and in jobs and then once you become an entrepreneur you have to some people maybe have that natural born instinct but i think most of us you know through fear and everything else we learn to kind of take them again Mm. and more often than not they'll lead to like I say, great ideas. And one of the things I've learned through all this is quite often the catalyst to that big product, that successful venture, whatever it might be, was a mistake that was quite life-changing in a bad sense initially, <laughs> but then, you know, rumbled on into something amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm curious here, be, like this project, the idea came to it for you, from you, you know, you wanted to get the mistakes from other people, but was there like a specific mistake in your own life that sort of like spurred you on to do this and find mistakes other people made? Not so much. No. Um, it was when I first left my job and I started working for myself and I didn't really know what I was going to do. I wanted to spend more time on my writing and I wanted to, you know, become some kind of marketing consultant, but it was all a bit wishy-washy. And I had this massive to-do list and I was just scared of tackling it. I didn't know where to start. So I did what I think all, you know, good people do. I procrastinated, <laughs> you know. Well, very good at it, naturally. And, yeah. and I went to, you know, my friends who I knew who owned businesses and were entrepreneurs and I asked them for advice. And for the most part, they were sharing stories about mistakes and failure and these doom and gloom things, but not in a doom and gloom sense. Okay. And then I started to think about the mindset I had of these of mistakes, 
of you need to put people in a position to fail. And I was like, I am not doing that. I mean, I'm scared of making mistakes. I'm scared of failing. And I've got all these people who are telling me these stories about failure, but they're not failures themselves. Yeah. And they're, they're sharing these stories like a badge of honor. And so the idea of, wow, what a journey this would be if I interviewed, you know, a hundred and odd people about their great mistakes and, you know, turn it into some kind of narrative. And it excited me in a lot of senses because I felt like it would bring a great deal of insight into my own world and like help me reaffirm of what I believe successful mistakes are. Um, so I felt like it would be one, an amazing way to connect with new people yeah. and do it and use a book as a vessel to kind of connect with Pope folk. I'm quite an introvert by nature, so it gave me the competence to do so. Two, I knew that I would learn a lot about myself and what my own thoughts on mistakes. And three, hopefully provide something of worth for, you know, people like me right. who are scared. They're naturally mistake takers, you know, risk takers, mistake riddled machines, but they've gone through school and corporate world and life and they're now scared of them. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're t scared to take our next step, but, you know, we shouldn't be, but, yeah. you know, for not, we are. And yeah, it is, it's, it's a scary thing, but hopefully it will help a few people take that next step. Yeah. And there's something I realized, like when I was working in different departments around my university, I think like there's like this institutional, you know, large scale fear of making a mistake because I'd work in the career fair and they'd or the, the career center and they'd give like all this very, you know, samey old timey career advice, like build your resume, use the online job system to find a job. And I'm like, what about building a website for yourself? Oh, well you might put too much personal information on there and maybe a recruiter won't like that. Or like, what yeah. about, you know, like asking people out to coffee? Oh, well you might step on some toes or you might like annoy them. I feel like there's so much like fear of making a mistake that they just don't encourage students to branch out and try new things and really stand out because they want to be able oh, to yeah. say like, here's our job placement numbers and we use a formula to tell everyone how to get a job. And if we tell people things that are risky, they might not get the job and maybe our numbers won't be good. I don't know. It's, but I, it it is. Like, yeah. It just seemed like a very like, here's the formula for getting a job. Just follow that. And we're not going to give you any other advice, you know? One of the people I love most in the world is AJ Leon, and he talks mm. about, you know, follow unbeaten paths. Yeah. And society loves us to follow the path. You know, it's like, do this, do what it's always been done, follow the right line. And you just have to look at things like political correctness and um, health and safety whenever you want to do anything new. And they're all born out of this fear of if we, you know, offend the one person or if that one person gets it but you can't always just think about this tiny little <laughs> microcosm because it just stops you out thinking about the potential you know yeah. greatness and impact you can have on the world whereas you meet a go-getting young entrepreneur they're not going to be that afraid or taken aback <laughs> by you know how PC this is. I mean, it's not to say that they're going to be a full-blown racist or, you know, crazy stuff like that, but they're just not going to be worried about all these little bits and pieces of health and safety because it would still their entire outlook on life. You right. need to be able to just follow your own path and do what you need to do. And yeah, things are going to go wrong along the way and you might have like the odd mistake. You run your life in the hope you'll never make the massive catastrophic mistake that's going to get you in huge, huge trouble. Yeah. But Christ, if, it, if you're making all these little mistakes, they're just going to help you learn and they're going to help you get to where you need to be sooner. Whereas if you don't make them, like you say, you're just going to be stuck in this like goddamn machine that yeah. says, do this, 
you know, color it this color, <laughs> you know, use these kind of words because this is how we've done it for the last 20 odd years and it works. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've proven in recent years, um, especially where these big conglomerates have gone under because they've only done what works. Yeah. And they refused to do anything else. And, you know, Kodak, Blockbuster, people like that. You've got to move the changes. Mm-hmm. And in order to move the changes, you have to embrace the idea that you will fail and make mistakes and certain bad things will come your way. Yeah, exactly. So do you have any, like, uh, you know, you've done 163 interviews. Do you have any, like, big mistakes that kind of stick out or, like, really uh, vivid ones that kind of rise up to your memory? I'm trying to think of one which might uh, relate a great deal with um, sort of college students and stuff. And I, and I, I really like one which I think will um, resonate with your listeners a lot because it's the idea of conformity. And it it very much carries on what we just talked about now. Okay, I did it when I started working for myself. I thought I need to wear the gray suit and I need to get the haircut and I need to, you know, look the part. Yeah, I need to conform to, you know, the version of success that we all need to conform to. Mm. And it's nonsense, man. You know, you need to embrace to your <laughs> version of success. You need to kind of allow that personality to form through. And I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of Marianne Cantwell, but she's um, founder of Free Free Range Humans. She's got such an amazing personality. She's such a sweetheart and she's amazing. And I love her writing and I love her style of voice. So when I spoke to her and she shared her mistake, I was pretty taken back by the fact she was sharing a story about when she was just like everyone else. And she tried to fit into this square hole, even though she's a wonderful sphere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was working for herself and she kind of does coaching and consultancy and that kind of thing, a bit of a life coach kind of deal. And she didn't like it. She hated it. She, um, you know, she was dressing like everyone else. She was acting like everyone else. She was constantly worrying about if she was following all the copy rules and everything like that. She was trying to be, you know, what society's version of a coach is supposed to look like yeah and it wasn't working for one she wasn't getting the clients she wasn't standing out but she wasn't enjoying it either so she got to a point where she was like you know the hell with this i just need to you know this isn't working so i need to go back to have a job or i need to you know embrace something else so she had this tipping point and she's starting to embrace her own personality. She started writing in a style that suited her and not worrying about all the rules. She started to embrace more color into her world. She's a big fan of yellow. So she started to bring that into her personality. She started bringing her personality through. And slowly but surely, she was connecting with all of these new readers and all these new individuals who then were like, you know, I respect you. I want to hear more from you. And at the time, she was trying to help people in their jobs so you know build better cvs and stuff but they actually taught her that no we want to be like you we want to be a freedom fighter we want to be a traveler like you so she realized she was trying to communicate to you know a corporate minded individual whereas the people who she truly resonated with those who were wanting to escape yeah the corporate mind so so not only was her mistake you know setting her on a bad path because she was just like everyone else. It wasn't working, but it was kind of pointed towards a, you know, a type of person that she wasn't resonating with. Yeah. And once she let go of that and this idea of conforming, 
she was able to one find her right audience and two connect with them in a way without just keeps them coming back and sharing them and 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 she started to blow up and now she's you know she's a really successful individual and more than that she's a fantastic individual and you speak to her now and you connect with her and she's just a pleasure to be around whereas i can imagine back then she'll have been really a bit standoffish because she didn't know what she was doing so much she was this colorful character trying to fit in a black and white world it just doesn't work so i can imagine there's a lot of people who are listening right now who just think yeah you know it comes back to that whole idea of a cv you know you get taught to fill it out in such a way you know talk about certain ideas blah 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 whereas all you want to do is talk about this and that and break free and it's like man start conforming to your version of success start conforming to you and finding those right people and i don't think that matters whether you're an entrepreneur or you want to go into the working world whatever you know yeah start finding people who are going to connect with you conform to you rather than the other way around yeah and i think it just makes you more interesting as well you know um, the last interview I did today, we were talking about recruiters and how to stand out, you know, if you're interviewing for a job or applying for a job and the, the guest was like, look, think of it from the recruiter's perspective. They've got a stack of like 72, uh, resumes to go through or CVs yeah. and you're number 39. Like in that context, if you stick within the parameters in the box, you just look very samey and it's very hard to stand yes. out because they have to go through 72 of these. If you do one little thing to stand out, you're probably going to, you know, make the cut to the next round just because you stood out and you were memorable in some way. So Absolutely. I, I, had, I had to learn that. <laughs> my first two yeah, years of college think, were just like, get all the things on my resume, do all the clubs, like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone kind of goes through that. I mean, I've got, since we're talking about recruiting, I've got a friend who works at a local marketing agency and i know both the owner judith and the guy marcus and i know that marcus got the job for this one thing like judith you know the owner she was one doing the interview she actually said like yeah that's as soon as he did this one thing it got me into a mindset of like i want to hire him so i'm looking for every reason possible to hire him whereas i think more from the not the interviewer is thinking i'm looking for reasons to say no yeah right I think that's kind of the mindset. And if you can switch that mindset, you've pretty much won the war. And what Marcus did was, you know, he did the usual thing with his, his um, CV, you know, got the interview. But he turned up and as soon as he sat down, he handed her a bottle of beer. And I don't know if you've got um, Stella Artois in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you've got Stella Artois. Yeah. What he'd done is he'd, um, he'd peeled off the Stella Artois label. And he'd gone into Photoshop and he'd mocked out the Stellar Atta design and everything like that. But he changed it so it was like his name and like his CV was on there. Not all the details, but some. So where all the text usually was, was like his experience and stuff. And then he'd stuck it back on. So she's looking at it and she's like, why is this guy just giving me a <laughs> bottle of beer? It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. And then she looked close and it's like Marcus Costello. And she's like looking at it and going, oh my God. <laughs> He's just provided a CV. He's then hands over the CV, you know, with like the usual staples, black yeah. and white. But he started off and it, before he even said a word, he just sat down, gave her a beer. And straight away in her mindset, she told me herself, she said, I suddenly became an interviewer who wanted to hire this guy mm. rather than your way around where you're like, ah, oh, I've got another person. I need to kind of vet them out and, you know, come up with reasons why they're not the right fit. And, yeah. you know, he got the job from that. And now, I mean, he's, he dates her daughter. 
Oh, yeah. engaged. He's pretty much like the heir to that little throne and stuff now. It all started <laughs> with a bottle of beer. And it is this idea of you've got to stand out in this world. And yeah. we get taught to conform. And to an extent, sure, you've got to. You shouldn't just non-conform for the sake of it. You know, I just want to be quirky and stand out in every little way that I can. So I'm just going to be that guy. No, it's not about that. It's about, you know, just standing out and embracing who you are and thinking all the time, how can I come across in a way that's just going to rock the other person? Yeah. And yeah, that was all. That's one of the stories that certainly stuck out for me, for Marianne anyway. Mm. And I, I certainly related to it myself, and especially when I look back at my younger self at the age of 20, 21, and I was at university, you're constantly thinking, you know, I've got to worry about getting a job and stuff. They're telling me to tick this box and that box, so I need to figure out ways to get into those boxes, whereas sometimes the real answer is to step away from the box and to, you know, come at it from a different angle. Yeah, definitely. And I I've, I know people, uh, one of my friends, he wanted to get a job at a web development place, and I was like, why don't you build a website telling you why you're telling why you want to work there and like why you like them and everything. And he did it. He got hired. And the cool thing is they told him like, we generally don't hire people right out of college at all. But like you showed enough interest and enough like passion about it that we want you on the team. So that's awesome. Like didn't need a resume, you know, didn't need anything in normal stuff. Just, I want to work from you. Here's something I did to demonstrate my ridiculous interest, like my personality and also the fact that I have the skills that you guys need. So, <laughs> and I love the beer bottle, uh, the example too. That's awesome. It's Seriously amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, and it's built, you're a web developer. It makes so much sense mm-hmm. to build a website, but how many people do it? <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe it's becoming a little more common now because the, you know, we're, we're entering more and more of a creative society. I think these kind of things get taught a little bit more, but for the most part, you know, you get told to do A, B and C and right. do not, you know, drift away from those little areas. And I'm like, no, man, if I was, a, if I'm hiring someone, I don't want to hire someone who looks like everyone else. <laughs> Why the yep. hell would I want that? You know, yep. maybe if I was hired for like a banking position or something, I'd be looking for that. But no, mm-hmm. I think for most jobs, standing out helps. Yeah, definitely. Within, within reason. Yep. Yeah. If you walk in with like clown shoes and stuff. <laughs> if you walk in with an open beer bottle and sit down and be like, well, this has got my CV on you're drinking it and you're drunk. That's probably <laughs> not going to work out for too well for you. Yeah. I feel like I've had this conversation with somebody in the past. I don't remember who, but we were talking about the difference between like, standing out in a good way and standing out and just like, because you're lazy, you know, like, yeah, I think you can't just like, Oh, I'm going to stand out by just not caring. Like that whole, like, Oh, I'm going to sag my pants and not shower and that kind of thing. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to conform to society. I think you have to conform to society and actually add something or like show some sort of creativity, not just stand out in your lack of caring. Like you, you can't be like James Dean or like, you know, you can't just do it for the sake of it. I mean, just look, look where it's (laughs) taking Johnny Manziel out of it. You know, he's standing out for all the wrong reasons. He's very much a (laughs) nonconformist, but it's for the wrong reasons. You know, he's not standing out in a good way. And I think it comes back to like you say, he's not adding value to the world of football and he's getting bad reputation for it. He's probably going to ruin his career. And it's exactly the same. You can't just stand out for the sake of it. You've got to stand out for a reason. If passion comes through when you're doing it for all these great things and you're showing your good qualities and your quirky side in a good sense, then I refuse to believe that's going to bring you anything but good things in the long run. Mm -hmm. 
You might send out, you know, your quirky little CV to a hundred different companies and maybe 80 of them absolutely hate it. But chances are you would hate working at those 80 companies. Yep. Wouldn't you rather get an interview with the 20 that you might actually stand a chance of enjoying? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's like the kind of idea that I put into my work as well. Like, yeah. you know, maybe a lot of people wouldn't like it, but I want a small group of people to freaking love it. Not just be yes. like, oh, this is pretty good. No, I want, I want a small, like, this is amazing. Best thing I've ever seen. And if man, a bunch of other people don't like it, whatever, man. I got my people that love it. So, With my client work, <laughs> I'm always talking about it. I'm like, it's not about like. It's about turning those likes into love mm-hmm. or hate. You don't want yep. none of this apathy, indecision. People are like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Blah, blah. It's like, no. You want to turn it to create a brand that people either love or hate. Because if they don't like it, fine. You know, they can leave. They're not going to buy your products or sign up to you or anything. Yeah. But you need to turn those likes into love. Even if you're only converting maybe, you know, a small percentage of those likes into love. Those loves are going to introduce you to more loves. Yeah. And they're the ones who are going to come back time and time again and become endorsers and advocates and everything yeah. like that. And they're the ones who make impact in the world. You know, you just have to look at Apple. They don't have as much market share as some of the brands out there, like mobile phones and computers. Mm-hmm. But the people who like Apple love them. Yes. And they are the ones that get the press when they get the new co- computers coming out. They are the ones who, you know, people really go above and beyond. And they're the ones who get that impact. Yeah. They might not have a market share, but they've got the $700 billion turnover. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It reminds so. me, there's a, there's an app I use called BeMinder and their whole thing is like you track your habits with it or you like set a goal and you track it. Uh, but if you fail it, they like charge you money. And like, yeah. I've seen a lot of like backlash on it. Like people are like, Oh, how dare you like charge people money for like failing their goals? Like there's all this, but you know what? I freaking love it. And yeah. I know, I know a dude who he pledged $7,000 as his goal on there to make himself finish his book and he finished his book. And that like, and then he wrote about the the app in his book and that's how I figured out about it. And it's like, it's made me a more consistent writer. And you know, I don't think they need to have everyone using it. Just like a small base of people that find it useful. And it's, you know, it's a very polarizing thing, charging you money. It's like gym pack, the same kind of thing. Like if you don't go to the gym, they charge you money. Not everyone will like it, but it's memorable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Manish Sefi, what he's doing with Pavlok. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean... I can imagine that every person who loves that idea, there's probably like 10 who are like, are you freaking kidding me? That's dangerous. You can't do that to people. It's irresponsible. We should probably explain what that is. It's like a, it's like, it's like a wristband like shocks you if you don't do what you want to do, right? Yeah. It's kind of like those normal exercise bands. I I don't really know what they call them, but you can get them for like Nike and they track Mm. like everything. And I think Pavlok does more than just track like your steps and stuff, it links into a mobile app and it can just track any habits. Yeah. But you can track it to say like every time I, I don't really know how all the technology works, but if you wanted to stop swearing, it can like shock you every time you swear kind of thing. Okay. And some of it's manual, some of it's automated, but the, the premise is that it stops, it gets rid of bad habits through yeah. literal electric shocks. That <laughs> apparently hurt. I haven't used it myself, but apparently it does her and the proofs in the pudding it, it does work apparently you know? yeah it gets people doing it and it's helped people um do all sorts from 
you know, health related things to, you know, writing more consistently. And like I say, some of it's automated, some of it's manual, but the whole premise is, you know, shocking you out of bad habits. Mm -hmm. But there'll be a lot of people who don't like that. But um, yeah. there's a lot of people who really, really love it. And <laughs> I think on its Indiegogo campaign, it raised like $250,000, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All you need is a small audience. And he's the dude who I think He's the one who like hired a girl to hit him in the face. Yes. It didn't work or something, right? Like sit next to him in the coffee shop and smack him if he was yep. slacking off. I love that concept. Yeah. See, I'm all it about is. that. Like, it's a, it's a quirky character. Yeah. She's in the book. And <laughs> yeah. I think kind of like where the Pavlov thing was born from was this idea of he hired this girl to like every time he stopped working, slap in the face. And a bit like you said with the um, B-Minder map, he does like these little mini bets with people. So he'll mm. actually make bets with folk, you know, and be like, I bet you a hundred dollars, but I um, will, you know, get this sale by the end of the week. Okay. You know, and I'll send you an email like with a yes or no at the end of the week. And if I yeah. failed, I'll give you a hundred dollars. So that's kind of like a manual way of, you know, be minder app and stuff. And he's been doing yeah. that, I think for um, quite a few years. And it was, that was, I mean, in the interview, it was this little idea of, finding a way that made him work effectively mm -hmm. and he had to start implementing these things because it worked with his personality yeah so yeah it's quite an interesting concept when i was uh when i was in tokyo last i stayed at a capsule hotel because it was the only thing open for the night and before i went to bed i went to the little common area and i met this guy from australia and uh we became friends and then we decided to make a bet for each other like he wanted to get a website started i think and i needed to write like a huge article so we bet each other like 30 bucks and whoever wouldn't do it would owe the other person, but neither of us ended up doing it. So I didn't like, there was like no <laughs> loss at all for either party. So I realized that, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to make a bet with somebody, I think you need to do it with somebody who's like not beholden to you at the same time. So they yeah. can be like the authoritarian, like you did it or you didn't. And if you didn't, you're going to pay me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's good. Um, yeah, that is good. I bet because sometimes you can just both be useless at the same time. Yep. And <laughs> exactly I, I mean, happens. you don't even always have to do bets. Mastermind groups are really mm. um, popular these days. And I don't think you need to be an entrepreneur or a business owner to set up a mastermind group. You know, I think that could be such a valuable resource within university where people from different courses are coming together who share maybe a common goal of they just want to be good. Yeah, you know, they want to bring value into their industry, into their world. So you might have a master grant mastermind built of like someone studying law someone studying design someone who's maybe a programmer or something completely different industry but they've got maybe this common goal of they want to be the best at what they do and they wouldn't necessarily have to bet each other but you know you meet once a week to make sure that you're staying on the right path yeah i think that's valuable man and i i hope masterminds become a more common thing in universities and colleges mm -hmm. as they are starting to be in the business worlds because they are yeah. <laughs> a good way to go. It's funny, like, I have a friend who, like, doesn't like the term mastermind group. And I think it sounds oh, yeah? kind of like, I don't know, like, we're going to take over the world kind of thing. Um, oh. But I love the concept. And my friend Andrew, he does, like, uh, he's like a, he's an entrepreneur, but it's like, tech work with Max and stuff. And we're in completely different areas. Like, he fixes people's computers for a living, and I don't. I write and make videos. <laughs> He was just telling me, like, I just want, like, a group of guys that I could hang out with, you know, once or twice a month and just keep each other accountable on stuff, you know. Let each other know our goals and what we're doing to to improve on them and 
doesn't have to be yeah. entrepreneurial. It just needs to be based on improvement of things. And I, I love that idea because I think we can get really comfortable in our circle of friends. You know, Absolutely. our circle of friends is like there to comfort us, there to entertain us, but they're not always there to challenge us. And I feel like we all need a group of people to challenge us in some way. Yeah. And one person might, you know, it, it could be free business owners who are all talking around. And there's one guy who's just talking about maybe health. He wants to lose a lot of weight or something. Mm-hmm. You've all got this common, you know, drive of we want to lose weight or we want to build profit or whatever it might be. And it is, it's just making yourself accountable. I'm giving yourself a motivation. And, you know, whether you call it a mastermind or a brain group or I, <laughs> call whatever the hell you want the concept is to just make yourself accountable and to drive you forward and a lot of in, in a day and age where a lot of people work from home from low you know location free they're not going in offices motivation is a real big deal yeah and i'm sure it's something students can relate to massively as well because just, you don't spend all that time in class Yep. You know, for every minute you spend in class, you probably spend five minutes if out of class, but you need to be still studying, going to certain groups, you know, doing this, that, and the other. Motivation's a really tough thing. Yeah. So <laughs> having someone who helps keep you accountable. Exactly. So I'm I'm curious, uh, I have like one last question before we start wrapping up. Did you have anybody you interviewed who had a mistake that was like damaging? Because yeah, I, I remember I think I'm remembering now what my mistake was. My mistake was overcorrecting from being over-involved to like making myself mm. too free and then like wasting a lot of that time. But did you have anybody who was like, I seriously screwed up and it like messed my life up for a while, but I came out for the better. Yeah. I mean, what would you like? Would you like the would you like financial pain, <laughs> personal pain, health pain? Maybe just what? one that sticks out to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll keep it on. We'll move away from money. And we'll okay. focus more on health. And okay. there's a podcaster called Chris Cerrone of the Chris Cerrone Show. Okay. Relatively new to the to the podcasting space, but seen a lot of success. And he's a very cool guy. And he he kept himself really busy. And we were talking about it before we hit record, this idea of, you know, burning out. Mm-hmm. And I think as entrepreneurs and again, I think it's something students can relate to because around tests and, you know, assignments, you can really burn yourself out. And what Chris did, he just did too much. He lived in, I think it's like Las Vegas or near Las Vegas, so pretty much in a desert, really hot place. And for too long, he was doing long hours. He wasn't drinking enough. He wasn't eating well. wasn't doing enough exercise. His eyes were under price. His eyes were on, you know, building the podcast, building this business, making money, blah, blah, blah. You know, what you do, keeping your eye on the prize. And he was just negating everything else in his life, which is a really important thing. And, you know, you, you've only got your health in the end of the day. Yeah. You know, and whether you're neglect, neglecting your health or neglecting those that you love and your family, you know, there's certain things in life which are always going to be more important than, you know, that prize. Yeah. Whether that prize is money or a business or a test score, whatever it is, there's always things that are more important than that widget, that prize. Yeah. And stuff like your health is. And Chris got to a point where he was driving um, to do one of the shows one day and he just started seeing these black spots in front of his eyes and he just felt weird. And the way he described it to me was he just felt weird. He didn't feel right. And he got to... Um, 
to the studio where I was going to do the show. And he's just like, I can't do this today. Like, I don't feel right. So he went to the doctor and he found out that he was just really severely dehydrated and under a lot of stress. Mm. And it got to a point where it physically, you know, affected him. I mean, he was driving when this happened. I mean, nothing bad did happen, but, you know, you go into that kind of thing. I mean, you can, you can black out, you can do all sorts of things. It could have been a real potential bad thing. And it shocked him into a, into action and made him take a bit of a step back and look at his bigger sense of life. Everything was going quite well in the business world, growing podcasts, things were starting to monetize, etc. But he'd let everything else go and it, and you know, it hurt him, you know, in a physical sense. And he was like, man, I need to start taking care of myself. Yeah. And for me, that's a, that's a big damaging thing. When you get to a point where you need to take a trip to the doctor, yeah. because they're saying like you are severely stressed, not eating well, not exercising enough, not taking enough water. And, you know, it made him completely reevaluate things and say, right, I need to stop taking client calls. I need to get rid of a few of this. I need to, you know, refocus everything. So I'm being more focused on quality rather than quantity. And he started drinking more, eating better, more exercise, you know, putting other priorities into his world. Yeah. And not only has he been able to, you know, continue building his business, he's been able to do it in a more strategic manner. Yeah. He's been able to, you know, convert in a more wise way rather than just chasing every little lead that was going around. He's probably able to spend less time on the business and earn more money because he's got a more strategic insight. Mm -hmm. So he's been able to build a better business model, or at least in my opinion, he has probably, um, you know, through this thing, but it was a very health related thing. And I think that's a really important one because people often associate mistakes with, oh, he probably lost a million dollars. I've got those stories where people lost it all. They're good stories. They're really big, big ones. But for me, the more important ones are when they start affecting your, you know, your marriage, yeah, your relationships with your family, your health, your own mind, your own psyche for crying out loud. You know, mm. you can just get stressed and anxious and, you know, develop them sort of symptoms that are really dangerous. So, right. yeah. And I think it's something that can really affect college students in particular because yes. there are certain periods in the year which are just intense. Mm. I remember them. They are intense. And even in those intense periods, you need to remember there are certain things in life which are more important this intense period. Right. Yeah. Because it can be very easy to just slip in the, oh, you know, I'm very stressed right now. I, need, I have finals coming up. I'm just going to pull an all-nighter and drink, you know, a monster energy drink and just exactly. you know, not not take care of yourself. Um, and I'm not saying you can't do that every now and then. There'll be certain times we were talking right. about before we hit record. There's certain periods in entrepreneur where you need to be like, I've got a lot to do. I've got deadlines. Mm. And I, I, I laid this bed. I need to make it. Okay. So yeah. bang. And you get it done and you can do it for a couple of days, whatever. You know, you're not going to die from doing that. But it's when it becomes, you know, a lifestyle yeah. and you are just in trouble. Yep. <laughs> It's a difficult thing to get out to, you know, whether it involves drink or late nights or just work, work, work or, you know, bad health, whatever it might be. Yeah, you can only sustain that kind of lifestyle for a short period. And I think the true one of the true things of being a successful person, not an entrepreneur or anything like that, just a successful person is figuring out a lifestyle that gives you happiness and prosperity. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, so over the past few months, I've been trying really hard to like deliberately build habits to keep myself healthy, which it's amazing what can happen when you turn that into a habit. Because before then I would just work until like 10 PM. You know, mm. I, I had the same thing where like you, you just like forget to drink water. 
and that kind of thing. So just a simple add a checklist, drink, you know, a liter of water today. You can really avoid a lot of And you've mentioned a few, we've mentioned a few apps and stuff. I'm Mm. I'm assuming most of your listeners will have a smartphone. Well, there are apps which remind you like you've only drunk so much water today. Oh yeah. You can, you can add to the sort of amount of water that you drink and you can track it. Exactly the same with diet, exactly the same with health. You know, whatever you want to improve in your life is probably an app for it. So use (laughs) it, use technology, but you know, use people to help make you accountable as well. I suppose it comes back to this idea of building a group of people around you to help keep you accountable and, and whatnot. Right. Cool. So you said the book is going into self-publishing soon then as of this recording? Well, I've, um, I just started a crowd publish campaign. Okay. So yeah, if, if your listeners head over to tdog.co forward slash success mistake, they will find a crowd publish campaign on an amazing platform called Publishizer, which is, is a specific one. It's like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but it's four books. Okay. And it's what a great, it great platform. Publishizer Publish. with a Z. Instead okay. Of, yeah. Cool. Z with a, instead of an S. And, and um, yeah, so that's just started and got like 40 odd days to raise seven and a half thousand dollars. So okay. a long way to go. <laughs> and I've, I've now started to write the book. So Sweet. I've finished, I've, I've got a few little interviews to, to tidy up, but for the most part, the interviews is done. And now it's a process of inviting fellow readers, writers, entrepreneurs, tomorrow's entrepreneur to come join me on their journey. I want people to be as involved in this process as they want to be. So the funding goal on the crowd publish campaign is important in a sense of, you know, I could really do with the money and whatnot to right. get this into from dream to reality. But the most important thing is a crowd and trying to build a crowd of like-minded individuals who just want to change this perception of mistakes and, you know, be forward thinkers and move into the next thing. And you can be involved from $12 up to whatever. But the important thing is to be involved. And then once you're involved, I want to involve you. I'm not just talking about, you know, a couple of updates here and there, like like early drafts. Like I I wrote this this week. It's shouldn't be shared with <laughs> right now. I've not spelled check it or anything, but I want your feedback. And, you know, asking people to, you know, help me build, turn a good cover into a great one. You know, what right. should I do with the launch strategy? Beta readers, proofreaders. I want to crowdsource as much as the, um, as the process as possible with these people who are going to be involved mm. in this campaign. So, so yeah, if your listeners are excited about being part of that kind of, I call it a band of merry misfits. Okay. So if they like to embrace their inner misfit and be part of something a bit, a bit different and what the majority of writers keep close to their chest, I encourage them to check it out. And if not, that's fine, but hopefully it'll inspire I wanted two people to, you know, take some action into their own worlds because we've all got a book or, a, or an invention or a product or something in us. And I think we live in a world where there's just so much opportunity to crowdsource things, involve people. And that's what it's all about. Crowdfunding, crowd publishing. It's about a crowd. So yeah, it's an exciting time, but an exceptionally nerve wracking one too. Yeah, I bet. So if people want to connect with you personally, are you on Twitter as well? Yeah, you, uh, my website's turndog.co, so all my Facebook and Twitter and stuff's on there. And on Twitter, I'm turndog underscore million. Please reach out to me. If you've ever got any questions, email me, get in touch. And yeah, I, I talk about storytelling on my blog and stuff. So so yeah, anytime you've got any questions, reach out and be sure to let me know you, you found me via 
you know, Tom, it'd be great to, to know how you came across me and I'll, I'll let you know too. Awesome. Well, Hey man, thanks for being on the show. It's been great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this interview and conversation with my friend Matthew. Once again, if you want to help fund the book and get your own copy of The Successful Mistake, you can go to tdog.co slash successful mistake. And the uh, link to that is also in the show notes, which you can find by going to cigpodcast.com, heading down to the episode 51 link where you'll find all the quotes, uh, summary links that we of anything we talked about and also a link to subscribe to the show and also leave a review if you want to and reviews and subscriptions and ratings and iTunes really help drive the show up the charts. It really helps. So if you want to support the show in any way, that's how you can do it. If you want to find my favorite resources for college, whether it be budgeting resources, places to find cheap textbooks, productivity tools that I like, books that I recommend, they're all over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. Thanks for listening so definitely to check that page Info out if you're looking for that kind of stuff. And Grow that is it for this episode. So until next week, www.collegeinfogeek.com. 